Microphone check. One, two. CC. Hello and welcome at CC. Hello and welcome at one, two, three, four, five, six. She sells seashells by the seashore. She sells seashells by the seashore. There we go. Rolling. The most important thing is, I always say, is a story. Have it together. Know where you're going, how you're going to do it, how you're going to present it. Once you have it in your mind that it's clear what you want to do, it's easier to convince somebody to come along and give you money for it. Hello and welcome to The Documentary Life, a show that sets out to inspire and inform you on how to best live and lead your own documentary life. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is episode number 51, and it is brought to you by Barong Films, proud creators of Documentary Film, The Documentary Life Podcast, and The Documentary Academy, our industry-changing A to Z documentary filmmaking program that will transform you into the documentary filmmaker that you've always wanted to be. Find out more at thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. Many of you listeners have in some form or another been working with video production for a while. I know that I have listeners who work for local broadcast news. Uh, hello, Jonathan in Michigan. I have listeners who work in VFX. Hello, Richard Nazi. I have listeners who are students in university for you know film or TV production. Hello, Sophia in Costa Rica. I have a listener down in the Phoenix, Arizona area who, who does videos for the police force down there. Uh, I have listeners in the UK who, who do corporate video gigs. So, so a lot of you, not all of you, certainly, but, but it's pretty substantial. A lot of you have plenty of experience working in video, but this may be your first time venturing into into the world of documentary. It's the first time you will be doing a documentary film. Some of you have already started working on the film. You're either just now shooting or, or, or you're in the post-production phase and piecing your film together. And there are others, and, and for a number of different reasons, who have not quite started on their documentary project as of yet. But the more that I hear from you guys, whether it be from those who, who haven't quite yet started on their documentary idea, or for those who have, there is a common thread that seems to come out. And quite honestly, this seems to happen more often than not. Which is that a big part of the reason that you're not yet fully working on your doc project, or maybe why it took so long to get started in the first place, was because you didn't believe that you had the right to make a documentary. That you were not, in fact, a documentary filmmaker. I'd be willing to bet that a number of you are sitting here listening to the program right now and you're nodding your head and you're thinking, yeah, that, that, that sounds like me or, or yeah, that was me. Uh, this idea of not feeling that somehow you're qualified or that you're not, not worthy to be referring to yourself as, as a documentary filmmaker, this is what I'm referring to, by the way. There's a name for it, actually. It, it's called the imposter syndrome. You know, as if you're not really who you say you are, like like you're you're posing as a documentary filmmaker or something. That's actually pretty hilarious, by the way. The idea that one could be a documentary film poser. <laughs> and I know that many of you have or are currently experiencing this imposter syndrome, not just from the emails that we receive here um, or the posts that you make in the Documentary Life Community Facebook group, but because I experienced that very same thing myself years ago before I was to begin work on my first doc. And I've worked alongside many well-established filmmakers who also themselves were, they were pretty unsure if they were qualified to make a documentary film. Hell, we've had some of them here on the show. 
And in fact, we'll be talking to another one of these people later on in today's shared conversation with the Doc Industry guest segment. And oh, by the way, this guest is, is someone who, who's about to receive an IDA Career Achievement Award. And because of this, I, I'm here to tell you right now that you should banish any of that kind of prohibitive self-doubt. You, know, you should get rid of the imposter syndrome that you may be experiencing because you are in fact 100% no doubt about it. I promise you, you are a documentary filmmaker. So let's discuss this after a quick break, shall we? I am Chris G. Parkhurst and I am a documentary filmmaker and I am also the host of The Documentary Life. It was nearly 10 years ago to the day when I first decided to make my own documentary film. It was right around the holidays. In fact, um, I was working as a PA on the set of some commercial for, I don't know, it was either a PlayStation or Xbox game or something something like that. During those days, I, I was still doing a lot of PA jobs, but 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 I was starting to get some of my first, uh, my first editing gigs. Um, it, it wouldn't be long before I'd make a conscious decision to leave the PA world behind and, and concentrate solely on editing. But at that time, it, it was near the holidays, which in Portland, Oregon, it usually meant a, a pretty quiet couple of months coming up um, as the early part of the new year was, was, typically, was typically the slowest time of the year for film and TV work there. Anyhow, I was no doubt helping some grips haul heavy cabling and, and C-stands on or off set or, 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 or probably shuttling chairs and tables from the production truck to, to, to set up for lunch. Um, all very typical activity, of course, for a production assistant. Over the past week, between lock-offs and, 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 and laying down carpet runners in, in the locations we were shooting in, I was going back and forth between daydreaming about Nepal, which I had visited the year prior, and, and observing the director, Greg, who he really seemed to have a very admirable, professional, um, yet friendly attitude with all of his cast and crew. So I was observing him a lot. But, but every time I thought about Nepal, I couldn't get the image of me trekking in the mountains, often alongside hundreds and cumulatively thousands uh, of goats, who if you've been listening to the show at all, you know that they were ultimately, they were headed to their sacrificial deaths during Nepal's biggest holiday known as Dalsai. Um, I, I'd been mulling over an idea for a doc film about this as a doc film for, for off and on for the past year. Um, and over the past couple of months, the urge to make this film, it really started to become more and more pressing. I'd also recently been hired to edit on someone else's documentary project. And, and, and so in the new year, I'd be headed to Chicago to work full time on it. I was excited about this. I was excited to not be doing PA work, to be working in January, and uh, and most certainly to be editing on a documentary. In fact, I'd already been looking at some of the footage for the film, and, and it was all very exciting. You know, to be working on a documentary again, to be to be editing on another feature doc. But but to get back to that day working on the commercial, um, lunch had been called, and and I was eating a plate outside on on, on the back porch of the location away from most of the uh, the rest of the crew i i sometimes prefer um i preferred this over eating at the, at the at the crew table just because it was it was a nice sort of respite from the 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 the, the chaos well controlled chaos um and constant movement uh really that makes up a day on set um it was a chance for a breather really and and to kind of reset um but as i began to eat i i i hear this voice behind me 
And I look and, it, and it's the director, Greg, and, and he's asking if, if he can join me. And, and, and as he sat down beside me on the steps, I noticed, I noticed the bracelet that he had on his wrist. Um, it was this, this, this bronze piece with, with these small, um, Tibetan prayer flags colored all, all around the, the uh, all around the, the bracelet. It was subtle. Uh, most, most would barely take notice of it yet, yet to someone like myself, it, it was striking, you know, uh, who, other than around some import shops in, in town, you wouldn't come across this sort of jewelry except in a place like, for example, Nepal. I commented on it. I commented on the bracelet and, and I asked where he'd gotten it. India, he said, and, and my eyes lit up. Oh, you've been? Yes, uh, I, you know, a few years back. Oh, have you, really? And he said, yeah, have you been? I, I told him, no, I, I hadn't traveled to India yet, but but that I'd spent some time in nearby Nepal. And and he told me that he himself had also traveled to Nepal during that, that time that he uh, afterwards from, from India and, and that he loved it. And suddenly, before I knew it, or maybe before I knew better, I, I, I blurred out that, that, that I'm a documentary filmmaker and, and, and I'm doing a film in Nepal, actually, about goats who, who make this annual trek every year. And, and as I got to the part about the sacrificial deaths, his, his eyes light up, right? And, and, and he looks suitably impressed. And, and I was impressed that, that I'd gotten all of this out. I, I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. I mean, what did I know about goats in Nepal and, and sacrifice and trekking in the, in the Himalayas, uh, let alone filming this whole thing? But man, I, I sure sounded like I did. And, and Greg, the director, sure believed me. Uh, thankfully, I was called away on the radio right about then because who knows if I, I could have kept up the, the charade much longer. Uh, or at least that's that's what I was initially thinking, but but later on on set, I I, I'm, I was getting the DP a bottle of water, and Greg, who's standing next to me, he 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 says to the DP, "Hey, have you met Chris? He's a documentary filmmaker. He's doing a documentary in Nepal." I've, I my face of course got really red as I could I could sense the DP just kind of kind of looking at me um, and then the first AC is looking at me and and I think maybe the makeup person or somebody had heard it as well I don't remember exactly but but as I walked away um, something inside of me shifts something inside of me shifted instead of thinking who in the hell was I to be telling people that you know that I'm going to make a documentary. My attitude became, yeah, damn right, I am going to be making a documentary film in Nepal because I am a documentary filmmaker. As I lay in bed later that night listening to, um, I'm sure I had some traditional Nepalese music playing and, and I'm and furiously kind of jotting down notes in my journal about, about my idea for, for the documentary, um, the feeling just continues to grow, right? And, and I begin to realize that that, hey, you know what? I've worked on other people's docs. Uh, I'd been working on many, many film and commercial sets as a PA. And, and, and through the course of that, I've been observing and being active in, in how this whole film thing works. And, and so why not me? Why couldn't I make my own documentary film? And really, it was from that point on that I became a documentary filmmaker. And I've been one ever since. And the truth of it is, the only thing that was ever keeping me from thinking that I was a documentary filmmaker was me. And I don't see why you or, or anyone else for that matter would be any different. 
Look, as, as I said at the outset of the program, I know that many of you out there who have been working with video for quite a while, you've been working doing local news or, or local TV spots or, or working in the film industry doing motion graphics or you've been shooting corporate video you know, through your company, but, but, but this is the first time doing y- your own documentary film. You might remember the first time I had Faith Fuller of desktop documentaries on the program. If so, you'd remember that she talks about how our experience, um, her experience, I should say, doing TV news was, was the perfect preparation for doing her first documentary film. She had never done an actual doc film at that point, and, and, and she'd, but she'd certainly had plenty of experience you know, doing things like interviewing subjects and, and then cutting the news pieces together. Um, I also had on this summer Stefan Avalos, who, who had been in feature films for quite a while um, and doing some corporate video. And before he even considered doing his first documentary film, which would then be the audience a winner at Slamdance. The film is called Strad Style. What about Jennifer Brea, who was on the program in September? She'd never worked at all in any sort of video production in her life. Her film Unrest has been blowing up the festival circuit. And as of the time of this podcast, is on the shortlist for this year's Oscars. Coming up in my shared conversation with the Doc Industry guest with Lourdes Portillo, you're about to hear how a San Francisco art school student decided one day that she wanted to make a documentary film about a, a, this story she'd heard coming out of Argentina. So she literally just decided that she was a documentary filmmaker, even though she had absolutely no prior experience or training prior to this. Her film, Las Madres de la Plaza de Mayo, it would go on to be nominated for an Academy and an Emmy Award. I realize that these are like the successful of success stories. These these are the bright and shiningest of, of bright and shiny moments. But that's not what we're talking about here, is it? I mean, we're just talking about making a documentary film. We're not even talking about winning awards with it. Whatever, you, you just need to make your doc. Let the awards thing take care of itself. My point is that that I'm sure that Jennifer and Lourdes, neither of whom had a a bit of film or video production experience prior to making their first films, um, they had their own moments of imposter syndrome. I'm sure of it. I I can't say with 100% certainty. Um, I'd have to go back and listen, but I'm pretty sure that Jennifer thought to herself, who the hell am I to think that I can make a documentary film? I'm not a documentary filmmaker. And many, if not most of you, have had more experience already operating cameras and and sound equipment and editing than either Jennifer or or Lourdes did. You're actually closer to Stefan or Faith, who had plenty of video experience, you know, just not doc film experience. So if for some reason you're hesitating at all in your abilities, in your belief that you are a documentary filmmaker or that you can make a documentary film, well, don't you think it's probably time to stop that? Don't you think it's time to realize that we have all, at some point or another, had significant doubt whether or not we were doc filmmakers? It's just that we found our way past this doubt, as does really anyone who is you know, attempting to do something they've never done before, and we took the first step forward. And maybe even more importantly, after taking that initial step, and for me it was telling director Greg that I was a documentary filmmaker and and was working on a doc film about goats in Nepal. After taking that initial step, we continue. We don't look back. Ever. We just continue forward. Once you've made up your mind that you're a documentary filmmaker, once you've decided that you are making a documentary film, that's it. That is your own verbal commitment to yourself. 
It's time to start making your doc, telling the world about your doc, and it's time to start living your doc life. I mean, it is, isn't it? If you have any more doubts, even after this clearly amazing and inspiring little segment, then, <laughs> then look no further than this community that we're building here, guys. Look around our world of 127 different countries who are listening to this podcast, which means, I guess, you know, there are at least 127 different documentary filmmakers. Get inspired by that. that that's people from all walks of life. All different social classes, wildly different cultures. And they're all making a documentary film. They're all living their documentary life. Go to the Documentary Life Community Facebook group and read some of the posts that members are leaving there. You know, should you need some more encouragement? I think that you'll find that we're all experiencing our own doubts and and, and could all use a little encouragement from time to time. But that we're all undoubtedly in this whole thing together. We are all undoubtedly documentary filmmakers. And amen for that. I'm curious about some of your stories grappling with this idea of being a documentary filmmaker or, or making your first film. Of course, I already know some of your stories, but but I'd love to hear a lot more of them. And I'm sure this this community would be inspired and encouraged in hearing your story as well. So please consider sharing either on the on the community Facebook group or via an email to me. And you can always leave a leave a comment in the show notes as well. Seriously, please, please, please do consider sharing your story with us. It helps the community. It really, really does. It is now time for the Doc Lifer Community Question of the Week, which comes from Doc Lifer Fred Bell. Fred joined us last Monday evening for our first ever Facebook Live event. It was a really, really great event, by the way, and you should consider joining us this upcoming Monday for our second one. We'll be discussing your questions and comments based on this very episode. So, so anything related to this first segment on the on the imposter syndrome or or anything that might be sparked by my upcoming conversation with Lourdes Portillo. Anyway, Fred asked the following question during last Monday's session. He asked, I'm jumping back into this arena of video production after being away from it for a very long time. I'm about to approach someone that I know only as an acquaintance about doing a short documentary portrait about their work and life. I have met this person several times and we occasionally exchange emails. This person is very modest and I suspect that his initial reaction to my idea is to decline and he may give me some understandable reasons for declining. But I would like to ask the group for some tips or stories of past experiences dealing with shy subjects and how I can tactfully and politely persist with my idea. And perhaps a broader question, if you don't represent a recognized media outlet or an institution or have a proven track record, how do you get subjects to participate? So this live event question from Fred is actually fairly related to what we've already been dis- discussing today, right? This this idea of feeling like an imposter. And I think that at least the subtext of what Fred's talking about here is maybe um, about not feeling like he's qualified enough as a doc filmmaker to be approaching his potential subject. I don't need to respond with a bunch of rah-rah now that that's what the prior segment was for. But I would like to share part of my response to Fred, which was, it was all about persistence. Now, I know initially it seems like a throwaway, a throwaway response, you know, just be persistent, guys, just keep trying. 
Uh, however, you might remember in last week's conversation with filmmaker Rebecca Dreyfus, she talks about how she's relentless, how she never gives up, and it's a key to her being a doc filmmaker, um, and that she views something like declines for an interview as nothing more than a challenge. She'll find another way to convince that person. Um, that doc filmmaking for her is really just about obstacles and navigating your way through those obstacles. She talks about how it took nearly two years to get one of her subjects to agree to be filmed. It was author Peter Matheson, and, and he kept rebuffing her invitations to be interviewed um, for her film On Meditation. But she kept finding ways to dialogue with him and, and basically convince him to be filmed. You might remember she couldn't even email him. She had to send, send letters via snail mail, so she's handwriting these letters. Um, and it was through this persistence and correspondence that she eventually got got him to agree to to be interviewed for the film. Um, uh, and this was an interview that she had marked as very important for the film. So I, I think that regardless if you're Errol Morris or you, you're from the BBC or, or whatever, if you're persistent, if you are persistent with your ask, if you take the time to develop a relationship with your potential subject and, and, and perhaps make them at ease with the idea of being filmed if they're you know initially hesitant, I think you stand a pretty good chance of getting your potential subject to agree to be filmed. So, so yeah, be persistent, Doc Lifers, be persistent. If you too might like to share a question with the community or, or offer up some feedback of your own or give us some some topic or guest suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. So so please email me at chris at barongfilms.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at B-A-R-A-N-G films.com. And you too could be included in a future Doc Life or Community Question of the Week segment. Next up, we are about to sit down with one of the industry's most respected documentary filmmakers of the past 30 years. Her name is Lourdes Portillo, and she is set to add yet another award to her already sizable resume of awards when she steps up on the stage at this year's IDA Awards to accept a Career Achievement Award. That conversation coming up. I briefly mentioned our Facebook Live event that we started doing this past week. I, I had a blast doing it and, and I'm already looking forward to next Monday's, which will happen at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're trying out some different times right now to see what works best for all of us, or for, for most of us, I should say. Last week, we had Doc Lifers not only from the Western Hemisphere, but we had a couple of listeners participating from Australia. Um, we realize that the timing isn't going to work well for a number of you. The whole of Europe basically gets shut out unless they're up at 2 or 3 or 4 in the morning. So, so we are exploring the potential to have actually an additional live event in the week that is more, more reasonable for our European and African dock lifers. So stay tuned for that. But for now, certainly this upcoming Monday, we will be hosting the Facebook Live event at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, on this Monday, December 11th, and it will be held in the TDL Community Facebook group. I'll be on for about 30 minutes where I'll take your comments and your questions. I'll answer them as best as I can and, and, and further discuss topics raised in this week's show. It's going to be a great opportunity for you Doc Lifers to give us feedback so, so we can continue to improve and tweak the show as we go along. But also it allows me to answer your questions in a group setting rather than just conversing one-on-one -on -one via, say, say, email. And that's what the community group page is all about, after all, building a community. 
I'm hoping that this will become a regular part of the documentary life experience. I'll make sure to post a link and more details in the show notes for this episode. I do hope to see you next Monday for the next Documentary Life Facebook event. Over the past decade, the world of documentary film promotion and distribution has changed dramatically. And what's awesome is, for the most part, is it highly benefits us independent doc filmmakers. However, we do recognize that navigating this new landscape of promotion and distribution can be a bit daunting when you're new to the task. Like, how do you make sense of the VODs and SVODs of the world? How do you find a distributor and sales agent that you can trust and who will work diligently to get your film out into the world? And what are they even looking for anyway? Or wait, maybe you should self-distribute your film. Maybe taking it out on a national tour is the right move for your film. But how would you even go about organizing such a thing? Is your film right for the potentially lucrative educational market? Or are community screenings the way to go? There are so many options available to you to get your film out to its market, but there are a lot of questions you probably have about how to do it, which is why we help you make sense of it all in our flagship program, The Documentary Academy. Inside the Academy, you will create a tailor-made, multifaceted, hybrid documentary film distribution strategy, one that's created based on your film and your film alone. You will have a strategic overview of how you will get your film out into the world and in front of the people who want to see it. Take control of your film distribution and enroll in the Documentary Academy at thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. We'll see you there. I am joined today by Academy Award and Emmy Award nominated documentary and special jury prize winning documentary filmmaker Lourdes Portillo. Lourdes Portillo was born in Chihuahua, Mexico and raised in Los Angeles. She's been making award-winning films about Latin American, Mexican, and Chicano and Chicana experiences and social justice issues for nearly 40 years. Since her first film, After the Earthquake, she has produced and directed over a dozen works that reveal her signature hybrid style as a visual artist, investigative journalist, and activist. To date, she has 16 completed films, including the Academy Award and Emmy Award-nominated Las Madres, the Mothers of the Plaza de Mayo, La Ofrenda, the Days of the Dead, Columbus on Trial, The Devil Never Sleeps, Corpus, a home movie for Selena, My McQueen, Almasaya, and her first animated film, State of Grace. Portillo's films have screened at premier cultural institutions and events around the world, such as the Venice Biennale, Toronto International Film Festival, London Film Festival, the Sao Paulo International Film Festival, the Whitney Museum for American Art, the Guggenheim Museum, Metropolitan Museum of Art, and in the New Directors New Films program presented by the Film Society at Lincoln Center and the New York Museum of Modern Art. She also just so happens to be the recipient of the Rockefeller Foundation Fellowships, a Guggenheim Foundation Fellowship, and multiple grants from the, from the National Endowment for the Arts. In 2016, she was honored with the Distinguished Anonymous Was a Woman Award for her career artistic achievements. And at the time of this recording, she is now days away from receiving the prestigious IDA Career Achievement Award. Señorita Portillo, bienvenidos a la vida documental. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm happy to do this. And and I and I cannot uh, tell a lie, Lourdes. I had to practice that one that last bit multiple <laughs> times before I called you. <laughs> 
Well, you did well. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Gracias. Lourdes, for, for my listeners who may be unfamiliar with your work, how would you best describe the type of documentaries that you involve yourself in? Well, I, I think I make documentaries, and then I also make kind of artsy films, right? you know, to entertain myself, and also because <laughs> that's how I was trained more as an artist than as a documentary filmmaker, but mm. my passion really is documentaries. I That's what I've pursued doggedly, really. Well, and, and, and maybe we could talk a bit about how the whole doc thing started for you. Uh, you were an art school student in San Francisco in the late 70s, correct? Exactly, and, yes. And in your bio, you, you mentioned in the 80s joining with the, and I'll quote, generation-defining community of San Francisco Bay Area filmmakers. Um, first of all, yes. is that is that the same as the, as the now pretty well-known Bay Area Video Coalition, or, or is this just a looser-defined group? you're referring to well it it there was there was a very political group called cine manifest Mm. you know um and it was through them and a program that they had of trying to get uh, minorities to work in film okay and train them as for example in my case camera assistants right you know and I got involved with them while they were making a feature-length film that uh, was quite successful then, which the name I have forgotten right now. <laughs> <It's> okay. <laughs> but the point of it being was that there was a kind of a, a very active movement, you know, to be inclusive in the late 70s. I see, okay. And that was really, I think, uh, what enabled me to get more involved and kind of fall in love with documentary. Your very first documentary, and this is just amazing, your very first documentary, Las Madres, The Mothers of the Plaza de Mayo, it gets nominated for an Oscar. I know. <laughs> what, I know, she says. <laughs> We're what, shocking. <laughs> what was that whole time like for you? How, how was that? Well, you know, I... We were in art school, Susana Munoz, Blausin, and I, and and we said, well, she was telling me, you know, in, in Argentina, there are these mothers, they're called the crazy women of Plaza de Mayo, and mm. this is what happened in Argentina. Mm. And it was very recent, you know, the, the disappearances were mm. happening then. Mm. And uh, she was just telling me the story, and I said, well, let's make a film about it. And she <laughs> said, well, we don't know how to make a documentary. We're in art school. You know, <laughs> wow. And uh, I had been working with the Cinema Manifest as a camera assistant, and I had seen them make documentaries. Okay. And I said, "Well, let's study it, you know, and <laughs> let's see how it's made." And we started studying it, documentaries and their structure, and uh, we said, "We can do it. Let's do it." <laughs> So so from that point where you decided let's do it how do you accrue some of your equipment of course at that time it, it it's it's fully film right so so how are you accruing your equipment what are you doing for funds like how are you doing that as your first document as a first time documentary maker well yes i mean that was that was very hard for me because i never had asked for money to make something that i passionately loved mm. You know, it seemed crazy. I didn't know that you could get grants and <laughs> go make a film. 
But Susanna was very clever, and she said, look, there's grants, let's apply for grants. Mm. And we, that's what we did. We applied for grants, and I think we began after we had raised $20,000. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. Huh? So you had raised we twenty raised- grand, and that was what would start you, um, start you on your path or your journey with Las Madres. Exactly. So those $20,000 went a long way, you know, and we got, you know, a cinematographer, we got a sound person. I mean, we knew these people, Hmm. obviously, you know, in the Bay Area, it's a very small community place and you know each other. So that's how we put our crew together. So how did this Oscar nomination happen? And and what was that like? Well, you know, we submitted it to to the Academy Awards and I mean really hoping for the best the, yeah. the film was really good when we were finished with it yeah. we had a great you know editor and the cinematography was great the story was great so we figured well why not you know everybody else does it let's do it <laughs> I'm <laughs> sensing a theme here <laughs> there's a very <laughs> this attitude of yeah why not if other people can do it why can't we do it I love it and it's it's my audience will very much appreciate that and uh, that's great um, okay and 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 so it gets nominated for an Oscar does do you see this does this open some doors for you as a doc filmmaker Oh, my God, yes. I think that it opened the world to us, you Uh, know. It was really a kind of earth-shaking change in, you know, where we were at and where we landed. We felt like, you know, many doors were open, Mm. you know, grants. People were giving, willing to give us grants. People were willing to support us, to Mm. work for less, that sort of thing. Once we had the nomination, Mm. it, I think, it zoomed, you know, our careers became uh, much more plausible. Well, and, and, and this obviously, you know, led to the path that would become um, 1994's The Devil Never Sleeps, which is a, a very personal documentary, and, and it marks a, it really marks a turning point creatively for you. I mean, you, you'd certainly been using, um, you've been using investigative journalism techniques in some of your early, earlier work, but, but, but this was the first time that you'd exhibited much more artistic freedom. And, and, and I'm guessing this harkens back to your art school days. And, and, and you yes. also, you also put yourself directly within the film. And, 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 and I have to say for my listeners who have not yet seen the devil never sleeps, it's absolutely wonderful and, and, and riveting. And, and, and it's really a prime example of where, it's like this crossroads where, where, where uh, you know, your artistic needs and your investigative doc needs and, 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 and a personal doc where, where they all meet. And, and it's an incredible, incredible film. It all started when I received the message that my favorite uncle, my tío Oscar, had died. Immediately I called his widow, Ophelia. Bueno? Sí. Lourdes. Lundi. Sí. Luli, ¿qué pasó? ¿Qué pasó, Ofelia? Muy triste, Luli. ¿Qué pasó? Estoy muy triste. ¿Pero qué pasó? ¿Qué pasó de qué? Con mi tío. The Devil Never Sleeps, 
you travel back down to Mexico to towns like Chihuahua and 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 Huaymas, where where you're originally from, and and much of your extended family still resided, and 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 you discovered you decided to to discover what happened, you know, in the mysterious death of your uncle Oscar, and and yeah. and the film at first glance, right? At first glance, it's certainly about this murder mystery, but it's told entirely in your narrative voice as well as of yeah. course the testimonials of family members and business associates um first of all i'd love to hear how you came to the decision that you would yourself be in the movie at what point in the process did that happen well you know i it it actually happened midway in the shooting really yes cuz of course as a viewer you would you would never think that right i mean it, it, at the outset <laughs> right. you're in the film and you're you're receiving the phone call you know we were shooting uh, we had several shoots of course yeah. we had already shot one sh- yeah we had one shoot and then we went to the second shoot and i couldn't get my um aunt to talk to me uh, in front of the camera right and uh, I'll never forget it. We were in, I mean, and it's filmed. You see it in yeah. the film. Yeah. It's in a motel room. <laughs> and uh, we're, I, I, I have gone to this length of, you know, recording her voice. Yes. When I'm speaking to her. Yes. Because she wouldn't talk to me. Right. Recording the telephone call. I remember my crew saying to me, my cinematographer, you know, uh, Kyle Kibbe and uh, Jose Araujo, the sound man, hmm. say to me, Luli, you have to be in the film because this is, it's going to be a mess otherwise, you know. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> see. I thought, this is what precipitated that. This is what yes. informed that decision because, of course, yes. the conversation that you're having with the aunt, and, and for my listeners, the aunt is the is the um, the second wife of the deceased, Oscar. And so yes. you don't have her on camera, of course, and and so you guys are filming the actual telephone conversations. There it is. That yes. explains it right there, Lourdes. Yes, yes, that's what happened. But at the same time, you know, many things were happening in documentary. It was exciting, an exciting mm. time. Mm. You know, people were doing documentaries in the first person. Mm. There's all kinds of things. It was postmodernism, all that stuff, yeah. you know. And uh so I figured this could be a very exciting film, you know? Yeah, and in a very exciting way to tell it. Yes, yes. So I I was very open to everything. Wow, and and, and it shows in the film in, in really brilliant fashion. Yeah. Uh, th- there's a personal journey that you go through, not only within the film, right? But when you're making a personal documentary like this, what is the journey that, that, that you went through yourself as a doc filmmaker? Well, it's kind of a cathartic experience, you know. I had to go back to Mexico, and I was no longer a Mexican as I was when I left. Mm. You know, I had become Americanized in a way. That's right, right. You know, so um, I had to acknowledge that. I had to acknowledge the fact that I could see things differently. Like, you know, in Mexico... Telling the truth, there's a saying that you wash your dirty clothes at home. Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't.
don't talk about it in public, and you certainly don't make a film about it. Yeah, I, I could relate to that, by the way, very, very well. I, uh, a lot of the documentary work that I do tends to be in Southeast Asian countries and cultures. There's definitely some similarity there with what you were dealing with. Yes, exactly, exactly. You just don't talk about those things. Yeah. And I said, well, I have to do it because otherwise it, there's no sense in doing you know, in adhering to these rules that are not going to work all over the world. Mm-hmm. So, And I found it very liberating and at the same time scary, it, you it, know? It, but, yeah, in what ways scary, Lourdes? Well, because, you know, the family will turn on me, which right. it did eventually. That's right. You know, when they saw the film, they just felt betrayed. Mm. And it wasn't so much their anger or anything. It was more like the sense of betrayal that who I was and who I had become. And, you know, it brought me to a different place, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. a place of compassion instead of just being, you know, the documentary filmmaker filming everything. Mm. I thought, <laughs> well, you know, I have to be respectful. But this was years later, I have to say. Yeah, right, right. It's really, it makes me think that, you know, I have a number of listeners who I know are making very personal personal docs themselves, and they're dealing with some pretty dark material. Um, Lourdes, I'd ask you, what, what advice do you have, you know, for these people who are setting out to make a, a personal documentary that, that perhaps explores darker elements to their own family? What should they be aware of? Well, I think that you have to be very respectful, and I think it's good to talk about those things and to name them and not uh, do them, you know, in a cavalier way, but really acknowledge them and say, this is not spoken about, or there must be ways, you know, that you could uh, not make it so shocking. I think what was shocking in those days for me, and let me put myself back into the story, is the fact that my uncle might have been gay. That's right. And that was a big shock in Mexico. Yeah, 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 yeah. And people didn't talk about those things. Now, you know, I mean, I have a cousin who's gay and he's all over Facebook, you know? (laughs) 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 Uh, Some things have changed, haven't they, Lourdes? (laughs) That's right. But just to be respectful, I think for the students or the people that are making films, I think that, you know, it's good to be respectful, and it's, but it's also good to break the rules. But you be careful how you do it. Vine a Juárez para presenciar el silencio y el misterio que rodea las muertes de cientos de mujeres. Another big turning point for you in your career was your film Señorita Extraviada, where you investigated the well underreported and underinvestigated story of hundreds of young women yeah. who had been kidnapped, raped and murdered in and out of the Juarez, Mexico area. This was a time yeah. where where your interest in human rights work really it seems to me it hits a critical point. You know, you're traveling around the world. You're showing your film at festivals, um, college campuses, civil liberties groups. And 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 it seems like you come to this realization that part of your job as a filmmaker is also to teach, mentor, and inspire others um, to be courageous and creative in making documentaries with activist elements to them. And and I'd like to talk to you a bit about this. 
Sure. And, and I feel like you can speak directly to my audience, um, honestly, many of whom are who are Many, many of whom are well acquainted with working in film and video. You know, it could be commercial or corporate or, or as a hobby. Yeah. But this might be their first venture doing specifically documentary. Um, what does it mean? First of all, what does it mean to be courageous and at the same time creative in our documentaries? Courageous and creative. You have to, I think, be open for all kinds of possibilities. So that makes you courageous. You know, and then to be creative is to apply, you know, all that courage, Mm. you know, to the art of making a film, you know, to go with, you know, maybe implausible stories or implausible scenarios or implausible imagery, you know, all those things. Mm. Um, I think it's the same thing, basically. And but one of the things that I always urge, like my students, is to have a story that you can tell. Go around telling your story before you shoot it, so to see if it's if it's interesting. Oh. You know, yes, yes. So you're going around and you're dialoguing about the story with you know friends yes. and family, work associates, and the idea here is you're kind of not only practicing perhaps what will be the story later on, but you're really kind of finding out if there is, if there's interest in this, if there's a story there that's interesting to be told via film. Exactly. And whether you're telling it correctly, Mm. you know, is it going to be interesting? Is it going to be visually interesting? All that. I think that that's something that people don't think about very much. They want to do a documentary and they embark on it without having really repeated the story to themselves or to someone you know, that can give them some interesting feedback. Wow. And, and, and I think that plays well also. I think that we're, you know, and, and this will p- perhaps be a little bit later on in the process. Maybe it's once we already, maybe once we have agreed um, that, yes, you know, this is there is a story here and it's worthy of pursuing exactly. in the film. But, like, I think we explore that also when we're, we're doing our grant applications, when we're doing our crowdfunding campaigns, because... Because you're doing you're you're doing the, the the actual practice practice of you're writing about the film constantly, and so when you're doing things like grant applications and you're and you're constructing your crowdfunding campaigns, um, you're constantly having to tell that story, and I think that helps us define it. That might be a little bit later on in the process, but I think they're still connected there because you're 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 you're, you're dialoguing whether it's verbally or through you know uh, writing. Um, you, you're finding out what that story is, and really, um, yes. if it's if it's a worthy worthy story to tell. Yes, finessing it. You know, you're you're refining it. Mm. You're you're listening to yourself tell it. You're imagining it, and you're constructing it mm. in your mind. And it's so cheap. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right, right. <laughs> it, it, it's the best way, I think. You know, that that story has to be very, very. Um, Fine, finely tuned yeah. in order to embark in actual shooting. So, And then when in shooting, when you start shooting, things happen where it might change many things, mm. but it doesn't change what in my, in my experience, it didn't change the backbone of the story. Mm. It changed certain elements. But I always had that story. This is about my uncle. This is about, yeah. you know, the mothers of Plaza de Mayo. This is about 
the girls in, in Juarez. Yeah. So um, I think that that's a beautiful practice, the orality of your story. Mm, 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 mm. Lord Ace, when it comes to, and, 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 and you did this in, with your first film, right? When you, when, you, when you set out to make Las Madres, you, you said, you know what? Let, let's go try to get some funds via the grant world. Um, obviously, you have plenty, plenty of experience um, with that ever since those early days. What can be some, can you give us some, some, some advice for those of us who are first starting out to um, enter into the grant applications world? What are some, what are, what are, what's a thing or two we should know about that, that uh, we might not know about? You know, the most important thing is, as I always say, is a story. If it's a compelling story, if it's a new story, you know, uh, have it together. Mm. Know where you're going, how you're going to do it, how you're going to present it. Know everything about that. And all that work is mind work. Mm. You know, it's, uh, you can do some research, of course, but, you know, it's all, I, it's, to me, documentary has a lot to do with orality, you know, and that's very important. So once you have it in your mind that it's clear what you want to do, it's easier to convince somebody to come along and give you money for it. Yeah, right, right. If we ourselves are unsure um, of our story, then that doesn't instill confidence in other people to want to uh, exactly. come aboard that as well. What about what about the film festival circuit? What's a piece of advice you can give us about that? Because obviously you're well acquainted with that world as well. Yes, well, it was at a certain time, but I think the internet has kind of changed it. Hmm. You know, there's ways that you can enter film festivals by paying a fee and they try for you. And I don't know, I don't do it anymore. So, you know, (laughs) I don't know how it goes. But uh, I think it's good to meet the people if they come to your city to meet them, you know, from the film festival, tell them, your story, what it is that you're doing and you want them to see it, you know. I think having connections, making direct connections with these people is really, really important. And following through, following through and keeping them abreast of what you're doing. So that's that's all I can say for that now because I don't know exactly how it works. I think it's changed. Well, something has happened. Something has changed for you. Then, if you have pulled back from using the film festival circuit, what what is that? What 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 um, what precipitated that decision? To it sounds like it was a very conscious move on your part. No, what happened to me? Like a few years back, I got cancer. Yes, that's right. And of course, you would explore that that later on in, in in your documentary. Right. It debilitated me, and there was no way that I could continue to make documentaries in the explorer kind of way that we do it you know we uh, go like, like you go to nepal right i mean it's yeah. beautiful to me i'm so jealous you know it's part of our lives you know i couldn't live my life like that anymore i had to live my life in a more sedentary way because i was in constant pain so i got out of making documentaries in that sense of the word of explore being an explorer you know yeah um and i ended up for four years working at the academy of motion pictures arts and sciences doing oral histories for a big exhibit Ah, i see i see 
Yes, and I did, and then I saw the beauty of oral history. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't know, but I had done them before in my documentary work as well. I mean, unknowingly, you know what I'm saying? That we that we have to really acknowledge that orality is so much a part of documentary filmmaking. Lourdes, I'm curious about this a, a bit more, the work that, that you're yeah. doing now. Is it is it strictly, is it all audio-based, or are there visual elements to it as well? No, the only visual element, this is the, the challenge, yeah. is just having the subject in front of you, and you're just filming them. There is nothing more compelling ah. than the protagonist telling you the story of their life in their <laughs> own words, you know, and it's fabulous i mean for me now yeah yeah <laughs> oh man this is so i we could talk about this forever this is very very intriguing to me because it kind of in many ways harkens back to roots of storytelling right you're yes. sitting in front of a subject and as a documentary storyteller our interviews are king right i mean without the That's interviews right. without the people our subjects that are telling that story um, we're in trouble many times, depending, of course, on the type of documentary you're doing. But this kind of this kind of gets back to the roots of storytelling: sitting in front of someone and allowing them to simply tell their story. Yes, I love it. This is amazing. Okay, uh, what I would like to do here now is um, I want to talk to you about the importance of mentorships. Um, yes. There must have been people in your life that that who were mentors. Who were they, and what did you take from those relationships? Well, I think what I've learned, I've learned from all my crew. Mm. They were my mentors. There wasn't a mentor, a uh, documentary, documentarian mentor specifically, but I had, you know, crew members that were more senior in their experience yeah. that always were willing to teach me. <laughs> like I have uh, Vivian Hillgrove, yeah. who's an incredible editor. Right you know, that I've worked with since I made La Ofrenda, the, the Days of the Dead. Yes. I made a film about the Days of the Dead with her, and that was the first experience, and it was a very illuminating relationship, yeah. you know, seeing film from, the, from another perspective. <laughs> and uh, from the sound man, like Jose Araujo, you know, his experience... They gave me all this. Their experience, they gifted it to me. Yeah, yeah. And that is, that's amazing to hear. And it, and it falls in line with precisely how you described really your entrance into the documentary world with your first film, Las Madres. You said basically, yes. you know what? I just decided, you know, we decided we were going to make a film, a documentary film, and we just learned on the fly. And so that it makes sense. Your, your crew, the people that you worked with would, would, would function yes. as mentors. They were my mentors. Yeah. They were my mentors, and they were my wonderful, generous, beautiful mentors that I'll always be grateful for. Wow, incredible! What what have you taken from that from from those relationships now um, as a mentor yourself? I, I, I'm sure you are a mentor to many people, and so how do you treat that relationship? What's your responsibility now as as the mentor instead of the mentee? Well, I take it very seriously yeah. because any one of them could be telling the story of the century, you know? Wow. So I, I always, I, I focus a lot. First of all, I, I notice, 
I think a lot about documentary, and I think a lot about, you know, what kind of uh, schooling they're getting. Mm. And sometimes they want to make a film, but they don't even have the story, you know? I think that happens more often than we'd like to admit. I, I absolutely, I yeah. see that happening all the time. You too, yeah. And, and yeah. what are you doing to work with work around that issue? Like, how, how do you work through that with people? I just say, no, I mean, I'm your mentor. You come to me and yeah. you tell me the story. I want to hear what you want to make this film about. Mm, 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 mm. I mean, they're ready to fundraise and they don't even know the story. <laughs> yeah. I worry. Right, right, right. But <laughs> they're they, my children. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. And, and yeah, I, I, I worry about that, too, because, you know, of course, the beauty of, of, of sort of the digital age now is so much is affordable to us in a way that it wasn't, you know, certainly to someone like yourself in the 70s and 80s and prior right. to that. But the sort of um, the negative offshoot of that is is people can easily access or purchase, you know, all of this equipment, the latest and greatest, you know, whatever, red camera, black magic or, or drone equipment. And then they sit down and, and they're going to be filmmakers, right? And, and yet they suddenly, you know, completely forget that, well, you, you need to have a story. Where's your story here? What's the story about? I mean, it's great you have this equipment, but how are you, how are you going to, to tell a story with it now? And I, I, yeah. I, I see where you're coming from there. And now with me, it's the opposite. I see all this <laughs> equipment and I can't, I can't work any of it. You know, you have every kind of camera and sound equipment. (laughs) Well, there can be an exchange of information happening here, Lourdes. You can be presenting your experience as this amazing documentary filmmaker and certainly with story and 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 others can can show you how to to operate some of the newer newer equipment. That's great. Yeah, the young Uh, kids know how to do it perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to talk to you about uh, about this weekend and what this weekend means for you. The International Documentary Association, IDA, the, their awards are happening, and, and, and you'll be receiving a pretty prestigious award. Mm-hmm. Why don't we begin with you telling me what part IDA, what part have they played in your career as a doc filmmaker? Well, IDA has always been, you know, a supporter of my work from the very beginning. Yeah. And I'm so happy that they are functioning, alive, and thriving because I think that it gives all of us as uh, documentary filmmakers something to lean on. Somebody, somebody's protecting us. There is a sense of being unprotected when you're a documentary filmmaker. Uh-huh. You don't get the funding. <laughs> you know, you don't get the exposure. Yeah. You don't get a lot of things. I mean, you get a lot, and then you don't get a lot of other things. Yeah, yeah, right. But, <laughs> so we have this organization that is watching our back, that mm. is, trying not even to promote but just to sustain Mm. you know these efforts and i'm so profoundly grateful really so at the time of of recording this podcast um you will be receiving the career achievement award we'll be releasing this show on a friday and and the awards is the next will be will be the next day on saturday you're receiving a career achievement award what does it mean to be receiving this? I mean, you're 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 in the ranks of of Werner Herzog, Alex Gibney, uh, Gordon Quinn, Errol Morris. Uh, how does that feel? And and really, what does this what does this award mean for you, Lourdes? 
Well, you know, I never suspected that anything like this would happen to me, but I'm very grateful because I, it seems that people were paying attention, you know, <laughs> to what I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and to be with, uh, you know, these great, our great heroes in documentary is, is just uh, an astounding <laughs> you know, shock. Mm, 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 mm. It really is. And I'm so grateful because I think it'll open the doors for other, you know, people such as myself, yeah. you know, feel hope, you know, feel some hope for their work, for yeah. their craft. Well, it is well-deserved, yeah. lady. It is well-deserved. Oh, you're sweet. Lord Ace, I want to congratulate you on these incredible accolades that you have accrued over your lifetime as a doc filmmaker. I am infinitely curious about the oral work that you are continuing to do now. And, and of course, congratulations on the upcoming IDA Career Achievement Award. What a pleasure. What an extreme pleasure it's been having you on the program. Thank you so much. And thank you for inviting me to be in your program. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Lord Ace. Hey, can I ask a quick favor? If you found this podcast helpful in living your doc life or making your doc film, will you help us share it with more people by giving us a stellar review on whichever platform you use to listen to this podcast? We'd really appreciate it, and you'll be helping the doc filmmaking community find us. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.